I want you to join me in Luke chapter 7 and keep this, this, these thoughts in your heart as we look at Luke chapter 7 where we come this morning. Last week, Pastor Matt took us through this, this big message, you know, and we were, we were told to check our attitude. I kept thinking, check your attitude at the door. I don't know, it's like, leave it at the door, you know, check your attitude at the door. It's very, very convicting. But it was a big message, and as I reflected on it this week, and Matt, you shared last week, this was a big moment because people had come from all over. He's up north, he's up somewhere on the coast, we think Tyre and Sidon in that area, and, and Jerusalem's pretty far down, but it says there's people even there from Jerusalem. Word had got around about this young rabbi up north, and, and he was becoming a threat, and so all these people had come, and this huge crowd heard this message, and I wrote in, in my notes, talk, talk, talk. Because, man, didn't he just cover it? And if you read in Matthew where you pointed out that there's this 5, 6, and 7, chapters 5, 6, and 7, this is a big moment of teaching. Jesus is laying out the kingdom of God. This was the block party. This was the big conference that everybody came to. And if you've ever been involved in an event like the freedom celebration and all the energy and all the, the stuff that happens and then it's all over and you wake up the next morning and it's like, oh, you know, now what? Well, what? Let's answer that question. Now what? Chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus, he goes back to Galilee. He comes east and a little bit south. He comes to Galilee. He comes to the town of Capernaum. Capernaum was a town that was on the Sea of Galilee, real close to where the Jordan came into that, to that sea, Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee as we often refer to it. It's Peter's home. Right? We already saw Jesus heal Peter's mom in Capernaum. It's where Peter and James and likely the sons of thunder and even Matthew. We think Matthew, this was his home. Jesus had left Nazareth. That was Nazareth. That was his home base, but he had made Capernaum his home base. So why does it matter? Well, because Jesus is going home. He's had this big teaching. He has challenged the values of that culture by teaching the truth about the kingdom of God. Check your attitude, how you're living your life. And then it says in verse 1 of chapter 7, when he had concluded all his sayings, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. He goes home. And we're told a centurion slave. Do we know what a centurion is? A soldier. He is particularly a Roman soldier, don't forget that Judea is under, is included by force in the empire of Rome. Rome was a democracy. Oh, well, at least it was, you know, it was gentle and... Okay, here's a, here's a glimpse into my soul. Gladiator is one of, it's my top all-time five. It's got to be. You know, you know what movie I'm talking about? It's recommend because it it's pretty, it's battle. How many remember the opening scene? One of the biggest production scenes at that point in Hollywood's history. You remember what, you know what I'm talking, some of you remember? And all that goes into that, because Rome's purpose was to crush the Germanic tribes. They were the last holdouts in, in Europe. And they were going to crush them. Do you remember the scene? That's how Rome operated. That's the political climate that Jesus is living in. One of Rome's representatives, a centurion, he's a centurion because he leads a, a, a group of men. He has a troop that he leads. It's his responsibility to enforce the rule of Rome, or they called it nicely the peace of Rome. 
Romana Paxa, or I always say it wrong, it's backwards, right? Paxa Romana. Pax Romana. That's his job. Jesus comes into Capernaum. We're told, Luke tells us that as he entered Capernaum, a centurion slave who was highly valued, who was held in high honor by the centurion, was sick, and the slave was about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, we heard about Jesus, he heard, I believe, what the reference there from Luke is that he heard that he was back. Because Jesus had done many things at Capernaum. He was well known in that area. Now he was going to be known in Jerusalem as all those people went back and began to spread the word. But right now he's still in the north. He's still in the Galilee area. And this centurion knew exactly who Jesus was. You disagree? Think about it. The first time a crowd begins to happen or the first time he does a, does a, a miracle in Capernaum, who's the first one to hear about it? This centurion, right? Hey, you got Hey, there's this guy. Well, what about it? Well, the crowds. Okay, crowds. Oh, that's bad. You know, we got we to gotta make sure they're not going to get at. He knew exactly who Jesus, what he had been doing, what he, what, what he was about. And now he hears that he's back. He's back in Capernaum. And when he hears he's back in Capernaum, he sends, he sends, he sent some Jewish elders to him, to Jesus, requesting him. I find this really interesting. The relationship between the Jewish elders and the centurion. And it plays out through the Gospels, right? We see it over and over and over again. But here's kind of a first glimpse. Luke has given us a first glimpse into this relationship. These, these Jewish leaders, the elders, they're the ones responsible for the Jewish way of life, particularly the religion, the worship. And he comes to them and he says, hey, I need you to do me a favor. Now, any, if you know anything about the Jewish elders and the Pharisees and the scribes and the, and the priests, they're not prone to go, oh, sure. What time do you want me to leave? You know, let me just stop everything I'm doing. He says, I want you to go to Jesus, who remember, they're not necessarily on his side yet, or may never be. I want you to go to him. I want you to ask him to come and save the life of his slave. He sent some Jewish elders to him, to Jesus, requesting him, requesting Jesus to come and save the life of his slave. This moment is recorded in Matthew chapter 8. It's interesting. The details are all there except for one aspect. The elder Jewish elders are left out of it. See, Matthew is writing to Jewish people. Who is Luke writing to? Gentiles. Interesting. I think so. This detail where he says, I want you to go to Jesus and ask him to save the life of my slave. When they reached Jesus, so they said yes, they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly. How many, how many of you like to be in the position where you're pleading with somebody to do something? No. No. And if you're married, don't look at the person you're married to, please, at this moment, okay? That's not. But they're pleading, please, 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 pretty please, I beg you, would you please come and help this slave, this centurion slave? He is worthy. The centurion is worthy. Why is he worthy? Because he loves our nation and he has built us a synagogue. He is worthy for you to grant this, Jesus. Worthy means to have weight, significance. He is significant enough for you to do this because he loves our nation. He loves the Jewish people and he's built us a synagogue. So Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion's house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, to tell Jesus, Lord, don't miss that. Lord, don't trouble yourself. 
since I am not worthy. He uses a different word here for worthy. It means literally not enough. I'm not significant enough. The Jewish leaders told Jesus this man is significant. He himself says I'm not significant enough for you to come under my roof, to be in my home. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy. And now he uses another word for worthy. He says I don't deserve for you to come into my home. This is, I don't, I'm not worthy, I don't deserve to even be in your presence to come to you. But Jesus, say the word. Jesus, say the word. This is his message to Jesus. Say the word and my servant will be cured. What do you call that? Faith. Faith. Say the word and my servant will be cured. For I too am a man placed under authority. I have authority above me, and I have soldiers under my command. He goes, I'm the middle manager. I get, I understand authority from above, from Rome, and my authority to the soldiers that I command. What is he saying? He's saying, Jesus, I think you have authority. I understand how authority works. And if I'm right, and you have the authority that I think you have, all you have to do is say it, and it's done. Now, how do we know that? Because look at how he explains that. I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. Here's how authority works. I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he, he comes. That's how authority works, right? And to my slave, I say, do this, and he I get how authority works, Jesus. And if I'm right, you have the authority to command life. You have the authority to command disease to go away, to heal with a word. So please, exercise your authority. Jesus heard this. He heard this message from the centurion, and he was amazed. I looked up this word because I Jesus amazed. Isn't that a funny statement? Or maybe not to you, but to me. I think, really? Jesus amazed. What, and what would amaze Jesus? Now, the word means admiration. Jesus admired this man's faith. What is it that amazes Jesus? Faith. What is it that stirs joy in Jesus? Faith. We've said it here at this church before a long time ago, that faith is the currency of heaven. It's what gets things accomplished. He's amazed. Jesus is amazed at him. And he turns to the crowd following him, and he says this, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. When those who had been sent to Jesus returned back to the house, they came back with whatever. It doesn't really tell us what Jesus told them, does it? Does it? He turns to the crowd and says, man, I'm telling you, this is amazing, this man's faith. I haven't seen faith like this even in God's people, the Jewish people. People leave, they go back, and when they arrive home, what do they find? The slave is healed. The centurion has proved correctly. Here's where my head and my heart went this week, these questions. What moved the centurion to do what he did? To engage Jesus and to ask him to help. And I heard it. It's his faith. I found myself thinking, what had he heard about Jesus? Did he know about the miracles? Had he heard the teaching? Had he witnessed the teaching? In this moment, he heard that he's back. This is my opportunity. And Mark, I think you're right. It's his faith that said... This is who can help. Was he concerned about his slave's suffering? That's certainly possible. He's a slave and he's a Roman centurion. This is the culture. 
At one point in the Roman Empire, there were nine slaves to every citizen. It was how they did things. This is not endorsement or right or wrong. It's the reality of the culture that he grew up in. It's possible he just wanted to protect what was valuable to him. It's possible that the slave ran his household and enabled him to do what he did, and that would have disrupted every... I mean, how do you... But I think we can land on that question by saying he was moved by faith. You know, it's a big, it's a big, excuse me, it's a big deal for a Roman officer to ask a Jewish rabbi for help. This is not something you want to get back to Rome. So what, let me read an emperor of the report from Judea here. Okay, I want to hear. Oh, okay. Oh, the centurion in uh, Capernaum. What does he say? Oh, he says things are going great. Things are going good. Everybody's healthy. Uh, well, there's this young Jewish rabbi, and um, he, it's a big deal. He's risking a lot. Then I thought about the Jewish elders. What's, what's moving the Jewish elders to agree to be the messengers for the Roman centurion, to be the gopher? You know that phrase, the gopher? No? Nobody uses that anymore? Okay. No? I'm looking at Matt because he's younger. He's like, yeah, kind of whatever. He helps me stay somewhat hip. Cool. What moved the, the Jewish leaders who were used to being the leaders, being obeyed, what moved them to be willing to go, yeah, we'll be your, your messenger. We'll go. And, and Luke tells us, right, a little bit insight into their motive. Did you catch it? This guy built us a synagogue. This guy loves us. What are they saying? They're saying, this guy is one of the better centurions. We've heard the stories of other communities and what centurions do and how they collect the taxes and how they treat the people. And our centurion, we don't want to do anything to mess this up. Because he seems to love us. He's, life is good under Rome's rule with this guy in power. You, you tracking with me? What is it that moved the Jewish elders to do what they did? And then what moved Jesus? What moved Jesus? Because I don't know if you caught it, but Jesus changes his plans. Do you see that? He, he changes the plans of, okay, yeah, this is, you know, where we were headed. Remember, he's got a giant crowd falling. Did you catch that? It's not one dude walking down the road with his, 12, his entourage of 12. This is a large crowd. It's not a small thing to go, you know, and now go, where are we going? I don't know. What moved Jesus to respond the way that he did? Can I suggest to you that Jesus, I've already mentioned it, but it's people who come to him in faith. Jesus never turns away the one who genuinely comes to him in faith. You say, well, wait a minute. What if, they're, what if they're the enemy? Jesus never turns away the one who comes to him in genuine faith. The Roman centurion, do you remember him hanging on the cross? And he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're... These are the men that just rammed metal nails through his body. Jesus never turns away the one who comes to him in genuine faith. It's not about your background. It's not about your past. It's not about your accomplishments or lack of accomplishments. It's not about anything other than your faith in him. What moves Jesus is the faith of this centurion. I like to think, too, that this was an element that this, this centurion represented someone who understood their need, their spiritual need. 
Remember Jesus saying, I didn't come to help the healthy, I came to help the sick. He's not saying that, that literally, I'm only going to help, you know, this group of people. What is he saying? It's those who know they're sick versus those who don't think they're sick. I haven't come to help those who think, I don't need any help. I'm good. I don't need a Savior. Well, you're not the one that I'm going to be able to help. But over here, oh, you? You know you're sick? Oh, I can help you. I can transform your life. This centurion came, do you see it, with a brokenness? This man has authority, he has power, he reminds us, us that he understands what it means, he can accomplish anything that is necessary, but he can't help his slave. But he sees Jesus as being the one who can. And he comes to him humbly in faith. So what moves you? What moves you to act? Verse 11, soon afterward, this plays out. He's on his way to a town called Nain. It's a village in Galilee. And his disciples and a large crowd, they're still traveling with him, this crowd. Just as he nears the gate of the town, a dead man is being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. You understand what that means? She might have had daughters, but she was all alone financially. She was all alone, all alone uh, socially. You know, inheritance came through the son. Land ownership came through the son. Uh, the ability to, to make money and provide came through the, through the man. You with me? It's not a political thing. We're not talking about that. It's just the reality of her day, of her situation. And Luke says her husband had already died, and her only son is now being buried. A large crowd from the city is also with her. This is a big deal. What's going to happen? When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, don't cry. Don't cry. He came up and he touched the open coffin. The pallbearers, the ones carrying the body in the, in the open coffin, they stopped. And he said, young man, I tell you, get up. Now, stranger words have never been heard at a funeral. Seriously. My family background on my mom's side, open caskets. So I have a lot of experience as a kid. I know some of you are shaking your head. On my mom's side, that was, the, that was the culture, the practice. And so as a kid, I have many memories of walking up, because there's a part where you walk up, and here's the body laying in the casket. And as a kid, going, okay, as a kid wanting to touch, you know, wanting to go, ooh, you know. But just this, like, whoa. And I can't remember one time, any of those funerals, somebody walking up and saying, get up. Now, that in itself would have been strange, but what would have been like if the person got up? Yeah, I would be in the back, yeah, I'd be in the very back. Jesus walks up, he puts his hand on the coffin, and, and everybody stops. I, in my mind, I just, I see these two, and you can play it out in your head, two giant crowds. One's coming out of the city, one's coming behind, totally different atmospheres. You got one crowd that's going, oh, this, this woman, what's going to happen to her? Her son is done. Oh, and we're going to... And then the other crowd, did you... The, the slave was healed. Can you believe what this guy is doing? And man, and what's he going to do next? Let's see what... And they're coming in with that atmosphere, and these two crowds collide as Jesus stops and walks up and touches the open coffin, and he says, I tell you to get up. And the dead man sits up. Now, just because my brain works this way, if I'm one of the pallbearers, and the thing moves, I'm not looking over the edge. I'm not looking over the edge. Ah, 
what? What? Okay, okay. Wait, put it down, put it down, put it down. I don't know, but he moves. He does it. He gets up. I'm sorry. I just think this way. He sits up and he begins to speak. Now I can't ignore. Ah, is that you, Frank? Who's talking? You know, who's? That sounds like the guy. And he sits up and he's talking. You know, Luke, why would you not tell us what he said? He doesn't record it, but he begins to speak. Jesus gives him to his mother. The details here likely is that the thing was sat down, that Jesus takes this man by the hand. He's dressed, wrapped in some fashion for burial. Jesus helps him out of the thing and walks him over and presents him to his mom. I heard it, wow, yeah, wow is right. And the mother begins, I believe, to embrace, right? That's what you would do. And fear comes over everyone. I put in my Bible, I marked the two crowds. These two crowds in different places are now all united. They're one family. Different stories, different backgrounds, but it leads to this moment. And right at the center of this moment is who? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And look what happens. They glorify God. See, the outcome of God's people coming together, people coming united around Jesus, whether it's from pain or from celebration, coming together and recognizing who Jesus, the end result is that God is glorified. That's what needs to happen in our community. It's what needs to happen in our, in our, in our marriages, in our families. No? Nobody said amen to that. You have a tough family? I get it. Our marriages, our families, and our ministries here with the kids and our disciple groups, in the block party, in the, in the, when we're partnering with Carmichael School, all the things that we're seeking to do for him, the end result needs to be that people glorify God. Can you believe what's happening? Who's doing that? Oh, it's Crossroads Church. No, it's not. Who's at the center? He better be. He better be. And we better do more than whisper. I know we're in church. I hear the whispers, Jesus. We better be shouting that with grace and truth. But there should be no doubt, no, no, no unclarity or disclarity or whatever the word is. Lack of clarity. There should be no lack of clarity that Jesus is at the center of what God is doing. So that the end result is that God is glorified. Notice what else happens. People begin to say things. They're trying to process this. A great prophet has risen among us. Others said, God's visited his people. See, this is a good thing. As we bring Jesus into clarity, what would be good this year would be evidence of God moving as if people in our community and in our midst began to say, well, I don't know, there's a prophet or there, Jesus is this, or maybe Jesus is that. Don't be, don't be discouraged by people not getting the whole picture. Be encouraged by people saying, what is going on? Who's this Jesus guy that they're talking about? And they keep saying it's him that's doing this stuff. He's the one that's changed them. He's the one that died for our sins. He's the one that's calling people to himself. I think he's a great teacher. Well, I think he was a revolutionary. I think, I, I think maybe he was more than just a man. I, that's what's happening, and that's good. That they're beginning to interact with this idea of who is Jesus? Is he a prophet who did signs and miracles? Is he God? Visiting his creation in human form. This report about him, catch this, this is so cool. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. Come on. Yeah. Let me reread re it. This report went, went about this report about him went throughout Carmichael and the Sacramento County. Yeah. Let me read it again. 
This report went, about him went out through Carmichael, the Sacramento community, and the state of California. I'm not the Jewish leaders. I'm not going to be your messenger boy. See, I think we forget that, guys. I really do. Ladies, I think we forget that that's really what's possible when God's people come together and say, we're going to be his light. And we're going to do it in our marriages. We're going to do it in our families. We're going to do it in our ministries. We're going to do it in our gatherings. As, as broken and flawed as we are, we're just going to keep coming together and we're going to keep putting Jesus at the center. So I ask you, what moves you? What moved Jesus to act? We saw faith. Can we add to the list compassion? Someone was consumed with their pain. I don't want to go back any more time. My time is running out. But I hope you cap have been captivated by the depth of this woman's pain. Because some of you are there right now. I know that. You want some good news? Some of you are going to be there next year. I was kidding about the good news. <laughs> or next month. This is reality. And Jesus, don't miss it, Jesus is moved with compassion when he sees people consumed with their pain. The contrast is that the centurion sought Jesus out. This woman is so, so lost in her pain that she, she's the same area. She knows about Jesus or the, the stories, but she doesn't even, doesn't even think to ask him for help. And so Jesus, well, then forget her. If she's not going to ask me to help, then I'm... You see that? You see Jesus going right to her as they come out the gate. You see the intentionality of his, of his actions. He's moved with compassion when he encounters someone in their pain, someone that is overwhelmed in their need that they don't even see him, and yet he presents himself to them. Do you believe that's who God is? I pray that we do. I pray that we do. I pray that I do. I pray that I get over my, my arrogance and my, my spiritual superiority and say they don't even care about God. They're not even seeking him. Go spend some time downtown at Sacramento and walk the halls of our capital, and you'll come out going, they don't even care about God. They don't want nothing to do about God. Well, then bring down fire and brimstone, and, you know. And, and Jesus would be walking those same walls with me going, oh, calm down, Kurt. Calm down. Let's go in this senator's office. Why, Jesus? Because he just lost a child. He did? Yeah. Well, he wrote those bills that just, oh, I just so frustrated. He lost a child. Let's go minister to this man, his family. Do you get it? Do we get it? He's moved with compassion. It's what moves him. And so I have to ask as we wrap up, I, I think some of you have already been asking, I know I've been asking this week, what moves you to move? See, it's one thing to come to church, and these disciple groups are amazing. The material, I'm so excited. I had a great my group that Becky and I are part of on Wednesday night, hearing people's story. I'm so excited about how God's going to, to work in us. And I love, someone asked, I must have got asked six times this morning, how are you doing? And I realized, you know what? I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be together here. And, what God's gonna, and I'm excited to, to share what God's put on my heart from his word. But this is all the talk, and it has a place. We saw that last week. The truth was taught. And we have to start there. But Jesus is asking us, what is it that's going to move you to take what I'm giving you and do something with it? In other words, it's, it's not about just this, this half-time coach pep talk, if you will. 
It's about going from this place and moving for Jesus. Moving for Jesus. Those who are humble, those who want to know him, oh, those are sweet moments. But here's the reality. Most of our moments are going to be with this woman that aren't even seeking Jesus. That are maybe saying, you know what? What has God done for me? I got nothing. You going to tell me about Jesus? Is that not often the encounters we have? Yeah. And for some of you, you stopped those encounters because that's hard. That's discouraging. And we're no longer moving with Jesus. Are you hearing this? Are we together? What moves you to move? Let me close with this. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back because we need to respond. You need to take whatever God has given you and you need to respond. And as they come, let me remind you. Let me say our four E's, but I want to say them in a way that maybe we haven't said before. We are called to engage people to know Jesus like we do. My motive for engaging someone to know Jesus is not the intellectual, not the religious, not, the, not even just the claims of Scripture that says Jesus is God, but for people to know Jesus like I do. If there's anything you take away from the study in Luke, it should be this, that Jesus lived out the reality of truth and grace in lives of people, in real life. He would have been here maybe this morning. He went to the synagogue. But the vast majority of his time was invested relationally with people. Two of us agree. With people. And when I engage someone, I want to engage them to know Jesus like I know him. You're sharing him with someone, the, the him that you know. The Savior, the King, the Transformer, the Reconciler. Whatever he's done for you lately. In your relationship, you want people to know him like you do. Number two, we empower people to love Jesus like you do. Can I, can, I, can I just smack us upside the head for a second? The reason we don't empower people to love Jesus like we do is because we don't love Jesus like we should. That song we sang, you know, who, who you say I am. Are you living that Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday at work and at school and your marriage that yeah, this is who he says you are? We don't empower people to love Jesus because there's a deficit in our own love. We're to equip people to obey Jesus like you do. I hate this one, saying it this way. Because you know what Jesus loves to do in my life? Right after a moment of disobedience, he puts me in a moment to equip someone else or to speak into someone else's life to obey him. I go, really, Jesus, are you kidding me? I just failed in that. I just failed to obey you in this. And now you purposely put... And he says, yes, yes. Because I want you to equip others to obey me the way that you do. And are you convicted that you didn't obey me? Yes, I am. Okay, then equip people to be the same. Does that make sense? And then we encourage each other to trust Jesus the way that we trust him. Now, all that said, it means this. My engaging, empowering, equipping, and encouraging is going to be directly connected to my being engaged, empowered, and equipped, and encouraged by Him. You with me? My relationship with Him sets the tone for my relationship with others. What moves me? What moves me to move? I want to encourage you this morning as we move into this time of response 
the, the, the Lord's table is open. What is the Lord's table? Who is the Lord's table for? It's for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. This is not a religious action. This is not a, a routine that we go through to somehow be better with God. No, this is accepting his invitation as his children to come to the table and to remember what it was that moved Jesus to move. Because when you come to that table, you find elements that represent a broken body and shed blood. Why? Because you and I are sinners. We're sinners. What is it that moved Jesus to the, go to the cross? Yeah, and if I can just be personal for a moment, it was me. It was this sinner. The joy that was set before him. Who was that joy? Come on, build me up. Who was it? Okay, it was me. And it was you, the sinful man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to move because of faith, because of compassion and grace. I'm going to show Kurt grace, and I'm going to go and allow someone to nail me to that cross. So you and I have to ask ourselves this question, and I want you to remember this as you come to the table this morning. What is it that moves you and me to move? And I pray that for every believer in this room, when you stand at that table and you take the cup and you take the bread and you eat and you drink, you remember exactly what moved him to do that for you and that you and I will then be moved to go and do the same for others. I'm not a savior. I can't save anybody. But I can be his witness at this crossroads in this community, in this part of the world so that other people can know Jesus. Can we do that? Just take a moment. I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads. Our worship team is going to lead us. You, you start when you feel led, Nate, to move into the song. The tables are open. I'm not going to pray. I'm going to invite you just to talk to God. And ask him to show you what it looks like for you to move.